Hello and welcome to page one, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And wait, Tarek, who's this? Oh, it's Timmy. (laughs) (laughs) I've been released from the cupboard of dispatching page ones for a special appearance (laughs) on the page one podcast. (laughs) Tim, Tim is, you may have heard if you've listened to the podcast before, we have referred to the boss in quotes. And Tim is that man. Or legend. The myth. I don't think we've called you legend. Ah, The man, the legend. I obviously haven't listened to all of them yet. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, no, uh, Tarek, this is one of a special series of episodes we've recorded at the Fringe with comedians to find out about their writing process for their stand-up shows. Um, And we recorded these at a variety of venues across Edinburgh. So the sound quality does vary at times. We, We sometimes recorded them at the venues themselves. But um, Tarek wasn't able to make all of the interviews, so Tim kindly agreed to step in. Interviewer extraordinaire. Yes, and I think, Tarek, you're out of a job. (laughs) I've been waiting 112 episodes for this day. (laughs) I'm finally free. Well, you've not heard my ones yet, so we'll see see how that goes. We'll see how it goes with the listeners. But yeah, um, so uh, we will get uh, straight into these special episodes we're releasing uh, at least one a day this week. They're very short uh, episodes, but hopefully very interesting and funny, of course. And we'll play a quick advert for a writer's notebook and then we'll get straight into the interview. But for now, on with the podcast. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. (laughs) 
Hello and welcome to this special episode of Page One, the Writer's Podcast at The Fringe. I'm Marco. And I'm Tarek. And today we're joined by Michael Spicer. Hi, Michael. Hello. Uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Uh, so, um, obviously you've got a show at the Edinburgh Fringe this year, but mm. um, I think it's fair to say that you're best known for your uh, Man in the Room Next Door sketches. Um mm. d- and before that, you you were you were working in comedy anyway. Is is comedy something that you always wanted to to end up working in? Yes, I. Um, it's not by choice. It's just something in my DNA. I was just um, always influenced by comedians, um, not necessarily stand up comedians, but comedians in film, like uh, like Laurel and Hardy. Growing up massively important part of my childhood because we only had four channels when I was young. And uh and they seem to uh use Laurel and Hardy films as a as a sort of filler to fill to fill up the schedules <laughs> yeah. and, and, and glue programs to other programs. And uh and this was just for, for for a young boy, this was just genius at work. I, I really loved watching them. And um and then yeah, it was just uh, it was just basically whatever because it was you know I was I was ten in nineteen eighty seven and that was when you know you saw a lot of um, a lot of uh, quite a quite a shift towards um, uh, alternative comedy and um, just young vo- younger voices having more of a, yeah. a say in the comedy world and I was massively influenced by that and um, yeah I don't know what it is but comedy was always the main influence. I never really was interested in any other uh, genre. And and so what, how, how did you actually get into it then? Into, um, it, it's, it's an interesting one really, because obviously when I was, uh, it's, it's virtually, well, when I was in college, let's just say after I left school, I was starting to write things and sending them to, the only two outlets, which were the BBC <laughs> and ITV. And maybe mm-hmm. there were a, a few fledgling production companies back then, because we're talking about the mid-1990s, or even earlier than that, Yeah, Pre, pre-internet. So I was sending things, uh, physical documents I was sending in the post. Um, and so for the, for, the, for the sort of 20 years plus after that, I was having to get regular work, regular jobs, and doing comedy on the side. It never paid the bills, and it hasn't done until uh, it didn't until my forty second birthday, basically. Um, and I had a, a regular paid job all the way up until that, and I was just doing stuff on the side, um, uh, you know, entering competitions, entering stand up competitions, uh, um, um, because basically there was back then that there. There were no avenues. Without social media, I still wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. I created my own platform that people, you know, came to. Uh, and in the previous 20 years, I had to ask people if I could join their platform, if I could yeah. be part of their their programming or, or whatever. So um, so it, it is, it, it's only... F- fairly recently that I can call myself a comedian or a writer um, because um, up until 
2019, I was all sorts of various things like copywriter, researcher, archivist. I did all manner of jobs. And and when you were when you were sending the stuff in to BBC ITV, that sort of mm. thing, was it sort of ideas for sketches? Was it you know what what yeah. sort of thing were you writing at that point? I was like, <laughs> I was writing Tosh. Let's just <laughs> get that off off the ground. When I was like seventeen, I came up with all sorts of um, ideas for sitcoms and things, things that weren't that I didn't have any passion for, but I felt they would enjoy, you know, I was thought, well, this would reach your demographic. So I would come up with all sorts of silly sitcom ideas that never got off the ground. But all the time I was obviously developing my writing style and, and, and trying to find out what my voice was because a lot of the time I was just aping things I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just so heavily influenced by comedians that I would just replicate what they were doing. Um, uh, so, um, Wherever there was an opportunity, I would try to grab it. So whenever there was that call from um, sketch, sketch, topical sketch shows for, you know, submissions, then I would just be in on that straight away. Um, but I didn't feel that that was my strength, that I needed to find something that was more about me. Um, but, you know, I can remember going to the BBC when I was about 18. Uh, I don't know if you know about a program called Week Ending. Um, it was on Radio 4. No, because you're too young. Uh, <laughs> it was on Radio 4, and it was their version of Spitting Image. It was their end-of-the-week topical comedy sketch show. Yeah. And the, the, the turnover, as you can imagine, to produce stuff literally on the day of broadcast, you know, very tense. And they would have a, a core group of writers. But then on a Wednesday afternoon you could li- literally walk into the BBC off the street and you could say, I want to go to the weekending meeting. And you'd, and the security guard would just <laughs> let you through. <laughs> you'd go, you'd go to whatever, wherever it was, there'd be a room full of um, uh, middle-aged men looking very unhappy. Um, and, and, and they, and then some, and then the producer would come in and say, this week it's John Major did this, blah, blah, blah. There's been a you know, a war in the Middle East, blah, blah, blah. And then you'd, you'd make the notes and go away and write it. And then just, you'd literally have to sort of fax it to them, um, literally on that day or the day after. Um, and I remember sort of going to that and being really, uh, intimidated. I actually took my sister with me. I was so shy. And, um, uh, but I just thought, you know, I, I, I want to be part of this world. I'm not sure how, but I want to be part of this world. And little did I know that at that time that the, the, the invention of the internet and the invention of social media would just give me my space. Yeah. Uh, and the doors opened once the audiences came my way. And that was incredibly satisfying, I have to say. And I imagine it is for, for thousands of people making content online. And and obviously the the man in the room next door was was a huge um, hit. It, it was massive all over mm. social media. Um, and and where did the idea for from that come around? Was that something you'd be kind of mulling over for a while? No, something that popped into your head one day. It popped into my head. I was um, I was making. I was on Twitter for ten years up to that point, and I was making and I was doing sketches that were doing okay. You know, sometimes they would go viral and, you know, people moved on. Nothing really took hold. And then um, 
And I think it's probably the accumulation of terrible things that happened at that point. So you'd had three years of Brexit, you've got Trump, and now you've got Boris Johnson wanting to be leader of the Conservative Party, as it was at that time. And um, he were, he then had to do these, you know, extremely um, inflated interviews where he had to talk about everything in order to, I mean, we're seeing it now. Yeah. Where they have to talk about absolutely everything to, to just kind of you know stake your claim, and um, and he was only up against Jeremy Hunt at the time, and so he was giving an interview with talk radio, which was fairly sort of um, celebratory. He, he, it was like a victorious tone, and um, and so and the guy Ross Kempsell, right at the end, right at the very end, said very very quickly some stuff on your personal life. What do you do to relax? And so um, he then said, uh, well, he didn't say anything. So he was caught in, in two minds. He thought, shall I say what I do in my spare time? Or shall I lie? Shall I make up something that I think would, people would relate to? Which is why he came up with a sort of art, arts and crafts <laughs> yeah. sort of response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he said, "Just I make mod- after literally thirty seconds of going um <laughs> uh, um." He said, "I make model buses." <laughs> so it then went viral because, honestly, what a jaw-droppingly stupid thing to say. Um, because a normal human being, if you ask a normal human being <laughs> what they do in their spare time, they will uh, they will answer you. Instantly, because they're a human being with emotion and heart and a brain. And he just, you know, blustered his way through a stupid answer. And, and it went viral. I was, I, was, I was at work at the time, and I had my Twitter feed on one screen, and I had my work on the other screen. <laughs> and, um, and this bus thing just kept coming up. Boom, boom. Can you believe this? Boom, boom, boom. And uh, so I watched it. And instantly I just thought, oh, it feels it like he's, he's so distant and he's looking off and he's saying, um, um, ah, it feels like he's expecting an answer to be fed to him through an earpiece by an advisor who would probably have something prepared. Um, so I thought, right, well, if I've got time in the evening, I'll do it because uh, when I get home from work, I'm usually very tired and I've got two boys to put to bed and all of this business. And I thought, if I've got time, I'll do it. Uh, but because I was, I was on the fence about doing it because I thought, how how can you parody something that is so <laughs> yeah. unbelievably awful in the in 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 the, in the first instance? Um, but I had some time, which is why, I, which is literally why all I'm doing is sitting on my sofa in my living room. I get a box file, and that is literally the most. <laughs> that's the prop. That's the prop and set design. A box file, and it's at that weird angle because I didn't even have a tripod back then. I just balanced my phone against a pile of my children's books <laughs> so it was very much an afterthought and i put it on late at night which is something you know any 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 uh, influencer which i hate of course that term but any influencer or anybody on social media will tell you that putting something on late at night is uh, is is a no yeah you know a no-no so you put it on sort of as they're going to work or something <laughs> like that but i didn't really think much of it so i just put it on before i went to bed and then woke up and I'd got a million views. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it took me completely by surprise. And, and yeah, obviously since then it's, it's gone, 
massive you've yeah, been yeah. on the uh, the James Corden show in America and all sorts of things. So I mean, yeah. you can't have expected the success, but it really and obviously you have to be thankful to Boris Johnson in a way, I guess. For, yeah, for I mean, you know, success. what can I, I mean? You know, there's a there's um, there's a horrible thought that creeps into my mind from time to time. Would you prefer a um, a government that is actually doing good <laughs> yeah. and remaining anonymous, <laughs> or uh, having this uh, you know grotesque freak show in charge know, and I'm... having material on a daily basis? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, they certainly give you enough enough to work with. I, and... I also said this to, uh, the, uh, a, a while back when I was doing Pretty Patel. Um, I try to imagine being in my shoes. You're you're a comedy writer. Seventy percent of the writing has already been written. You you just have to join the dots, mm-hmm. and your comedy writer partner doesn't want to take any credit for it. <laughs> right, so that's the position I'm in. Yeah, I'm joining the dots here. It's yeah. just they provide me with these gifts. Yeah, <laughs> Donald Trump his daily press briefings. <laughs> it was like. It was like stand-up. Yeah. It was like somebody watching having having a breakdown and a stand-up routine at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it is, it is uh, in many ways, you know, I, I, it, it's a hard job because I have to do everything myself. But if you look at it from another perspective, wow, you know, this <laughs> they'll keep opening their mouths and this will keep happening. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And and how so? I mean, as you're just saying, they they give you the material, and there's plenty of material to pick from. Unfortunately, yeah. in yeah. some ways. But um, when that happens, I mean, do you? How long does it take you to put one of these things together? How much writing is there, or are you just sort of playing it off the cuff almost with some of it? Yeah, it's interesting thinking about that um, because there. There can sometimes be a narrative to the to the clip. So there's um, there's a particular moment where Boris Johnson has memorised paragraph five B of the of the uh, of the uh, uh, general agreement on tariffs and trade. He's memorised it, and he says, and he's thinking, this is what we need to. Um, avoid all the pitfalls that, that Brexit might bring about. And so the interviewer just says, what about paragraph 5C, though? <laughs> and he hasn't read paragraph 5C, clearly. So um, there's this moment where he's just saying, well, it's, it's 5B, which is actually the most important thing. And I, and I totally rely on, on 5B to get us through. And he says, yeah, but what about 5C? It's really important. And he says... You know, well, you know, back and forth. And he says, have you read 5C? And he says, no. <laughs> and um, so it's a lovely little potted moment yeah. that I can puncture with my with my frantic advisor. Yeah. Uh, and, and, he, and he just, and he, and he said, you know, he completely flies off the handle and smashes a bottle off the desk and stuff. <laughs> and I make sure that things like that are almost like choreographed. So it's really nice. And I, I like things like that working out uh, because basically 
I did that on my day off and I got it done in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the crucial thing. When a, when a, when a, when a, uh, interview like that happens, you've got to get it written and made within yeah. 24 hours, 48 hours, maybe because you know, it just goes off the boil. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there are other things like Dominic Cummings defending himself in the, yeah. in the Rose Garden going through in excruciating detail his journey and how he wasn't breaking the law, um, even though in that press conference he sort of mentions that he did break the law maybe five or six times. <laughs> so it's, it's like it's just this massive, you know, thing to, to, to unpick, like, well, shall I use that? Shall I use that? Yeah. I? And it became this massive thing, and I didn't know – I didn't know how to cut it down. And in the end, I ended up doing a sort of massive extended one that you can only watch on YouTube because, because that's, that, that was yeah. the nature of that particular moment. And, and they, they, they kind of grew so big that they ended up with you writing a book, um, mm. the secret political advisor, which is, yeah. it's kind of laid out as a series of letters and diary entries and stuff. And, you know, what, what was it like writing that? And uh, was it quite a fun process, I imagine? Yeah, very enjoyable. I, um, that was, getting that deal was like the, the sign to me. It was, yeah. it said, ah, okay, you can quit your job now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can quit your job and focus on this. Okay. So I quit my job as a copywriter and then 10 days later, we went into lockdown. Um, so I had 10 days of, you know, pretty enjoyable freelancing. And then I, and then I became a really bad homeschooling teacher. Um, so most of the time was spent trying to get my eight-year-old to, you know, understand Greek mythology, which I really did not want to do at all. Um, and then I'd, I'd have to write the book in the evening. And I, that's the thing I've never written in the evening. I've always written during the day. I never do, never, never find it flows in the evening for me. Mm-hmm. So I, um, so I had to get into that groove of, of writing chunks of the book in the evening. But, uh, you know, the material was all there. I, 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 I've done it. I, I wrote the book so that it covers 2016 to 2020. So that, that sort of, the, the, the departure of Cameron, Theresa May coming in, Brexit happening, Trump happening, all these terrible things. I thought, well, if I put him at the center of that storm, then you've got a pretty decent comedy book. Yeah. And so I would just visit the Guardian's archives, you know, newspaper archives, and see what was happening on a particular day. And, uh, and then just think about where the advisor might be on a, a, during a particular event. And so it kind of flowed really nicely, and I really enjoyed writing it, even though I'd never written a book before. And uh, with that, and and with even your um, with the sketches themselves, mm. do you, do you just rely on your instinct, as it were, or do you do you sh- do you run it past anyone? Do you show anyone? Do you say? Check no, if it's I don't. I don't. I've never done that. I've only. Uh, I will sometimes run a particular insult maybe past my wife to see if it's if it works yeah you know sometimes insults are are funny things because i've put this i've imposed this um rule upon myself not to swear so i kind of replace 
swear words with just everyday words. And sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're not. And I don't know unless my wife tells me <laughs> um, because it's a brand new, it's a brand new figure in, in, yeah. uh, introducing. So, um, uh, but I've, I've spoken about this in the past. Um, the, the, since I was a child, I've not been able to share my love of comedy or anything like that with anyone else. Yeah. So I, uh, I've, I've had this real problem of just being completely controlling and uh, everything I do, I have to, if I come up with the idea, then I have to see it through mm-hmm. from acting, direction, editing, posting it. Um, and, and, and when I was young, I, you know, I found boys and girls on my wavelength, but I didn't want to collaborate with them. I didn't want to produce stuff with them. I didn't want to make stuff with them. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, and, and that still remains today. Um, I find it very difficult. I do run things, but if I'm working on something that has a producer, obviously I'll run it past the producer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but if I'm doing stuff on social media, I will just put it out there sometimes and just uh, gauge reaction. Um, because, uh, because as I say, as I say it's, um, uh, the turnover is so quick. Uh, uh, and if you're doing something, if you're making a joke about something that is in the news, then it has to be now. Yeah. So I just, just do it, you know. And, and you're here at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, Festival mm. at, the, at the moment. Why don't you tell us uh, what your show's about and how it compares to the sketch stuff that people have seen online? Well, the show is, uh, I've done a tour with this show and I've, uh, I, it, it was, it was um, an hour and a half show and I've condensed it into 60 minutes for this, for this run. And what I decided, because I knew that the room next door would not sustain a whole show. So what I've done is I've provided a little bit of insight into him as a, as a person, um, how he got started. Um, uh, you know, there are, there are shots of um, me coaching um, football managers and pop stars and, and working my way up to politicians um, and then there's a moment where I talk about my grandfather coaching Winston Churchill because I found this clip of Winston Churchill's rushes when he was doing when he was doing a speech. Brilliant. Uh, so perfect, you know. And I've chopped that up. Um, so you, you you find out a little bit more about his history. You find out about him when uh, COVID first happens and having to deal with the the, the this uh, the, these daily press briefings. So. There's that, and there's you know obviously, and, and I bounce off video projections that I've edited so that there's gaps left, and I interact with those video projections. Um, but that's fifty percent of the show. The other fifty percent is me make is me talking about making comedy under the radar for twenty years and and not really getting mm-hmm. not really getting much attention, mm-hmm. but. I have, there have been instances in the past where I have gone viral, but nobody knew it was me. I've, you know, I've inadvertently hoaxed Twitter for a day with some sketch or, or, you know, joke that I've done. Um, and I've, I, I, and I talk about that and I talk about the things that have influenced me. And I talk about things that I've found online that I've, that I think is hilarious and I like to share with people. So there's, there's quite a lot in there that I've, that I've crammed in there. But I think is 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 quite an entertaining show, hopefully. Cool. Um, but um, I mean, but the tour went really well, so 
yeah. It, it it definitely sounds like the character. Okay, I like how you kind of create this character, and and, and now you're kind of fleshing him out in his own right, and he's kind of got his own history yeah. and stuff. And it's so and and it's kind of a mix between between him and yourself in, in this kind of mm. and fake version. So yeah, it's, it sounds like quite an unusual show, but I do I do like the I do like the sound of that. Yeah, it's not um, it's not. I mean, I've been included in a lot of, you know, top 10 political shows you have to go see in Edinburgh. And, you know, I do feel a bit of a fraud. I don't really see myself as a satirist at all. I do see myself as a comedian and a writer first. And and I think that's what this show is. I, I'm trying to say with this show is that there is more to me than yeah. these this this character because he does have a shelf life. And, the, you know, and I have more... Uh, more, more sketches, more, uh, more of a back catalogue in, in more obscure stuff, and um, you know, obviously, I won't be doing him. At some point, I will not be doing him. I've, yeah. I've stopped doing him uh, as regularly as I used to, and you know, there is more that I want to do. I want to, you know, write short films. I want to do, you know, I've written features, and I've, and I've got, you know, ideas for TV that I'd like to do that have nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with Room Next Door, um, well, because yeah. I think that that's a far more interesting path to take. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about that, if, if you did have what your plans were. But yeah, you, you want to mm. move into more, um, is it more sort of scripted sort of stuff that, that you would like yeah. to move into? Yeah, I've, I, I wrote something, I wrote a feature film when I was working as a copywriter in my lunch break, you know, must probably about 200 lunch breaks if you add it all together, mm-hmm. um, that I'm very, very passionate about. And I've tried to get off the ground for a long time. And it's only now, of course, that <laughs> people yeah. are willing to read it uh, because that's just the nature of it, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, and that remains something I, I desperately want to write and direct uh, and make. I, I think that there's there's room for, you know, original original British comedy films that aren't broad, that are, you know, that are interesting. Yeah. Something like, something like, um, like the lobster or, or, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, or what Chris Morris is doing, you know, I, yeah. I, I think that is ultimately where I want to be. Yeah. And, and j- just before we, before we close up, um, the, the, you mentioned at the start that obviously there are now these other platforms for people that do want to get into comedy. Uh, you, you, as you said, sort of created your own platform there. I suppose the yeah. one thing with there being so many options now is standing out or finding, getting found mm. in the morass of everything. I mean, is mm. that is that just is it luck? Is it is there something you can do to try and stand out or you know? Uh, well, I think that, uh, it, uh, my show talks about that and i'm not really in tune with what's going on in the news all the time i you know i don't read newspapers and i don't watch the news what i do is i have a feed which has you know intelligent people's tweeting about stuff that might interest me that i you know click on an article and read it so things that make me that have made me stand out in the past and which gave me my tiny tiny cult following the tiniest of cult followings in in my first 10 years on twitter was based on stuff that i was doing because of things that were in the news and it didn't necessarily need to be politics like for for instance 
there was this big backlash against um, uh, Phil Neville. I don't know whether you know your football. Mm. Um, well, you kind of do because I can see something on the background yeah, there. But anyway, Phil Neville was uh, made a pundit in uh, 2014, I think, by the BBC, and and there was this big backlash that he was incredibly dull and very monotone, and he was just basically saying what was, <laughs> rather than providing yeah. analysis, yeah. yeah, he was just saying what you were seeing, <laughs> kind of like catchphrase, really. Um, and uh, and then I decided to do an impression of Phil Neville commentating on Game of Thrones <laughs> during a during a battle. Um, and it did okay for the day, you know, it got a bit of press attention and, and probably got me a thousand followers, you know, uh, it, it, it's about, it's about finding something that exists that the, 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 the viewer will know about or that the user will know about before going into it. So obviously I've taken Phil Neville football, Game of Thrones, taken those two things that we both know about and, and, and mixed them together. And I suppose that was quite a cynical ploy from me to do that because I didn't really have any interest in either of those things. (laughs) Um, But I just did my research. Um, uh, And and I I have spent years doing, just check my YouTube channel. You know, there's 10 years there or 12 years of really dark, weird, obscure stuff that I thought would gain traction, but did not. Mm But I am still really proud of it because I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it won't go viral because it just, it's too offbeat. It's too weird. You know, get your audience, keep them there, and then bleed your weird stuff yes. in yeah. and see if they get it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think my early stuff was, was really um, a, a way of, of, of getting attention on social media um, and drawing people towards what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like if, 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 if this is something that people want to get into, then it's a case of just continuing to stick at it as well and just putting the content out over it. Cause it, there will be a point of something will click, yeah. there'll be a timing element or something will happen, which will yeah. bleed over. Yes. I think if, if you were to look in the dictionary, uh, sticking at it as a term, there would be my face <laughs> staring back at you because, um, because as I say, I was, I was 17 when I was first sending sitcoms to uh, London Weekend Television, as it was back then. Um, uh, and, and I'm now 45. <laughs> so this, this has happened fairly recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, lots of, things, lots of things happened that were telling me I should keep at it. Mm-hmm. You know, the most obvious thing is when you can do you do a sketch it gets 10 likes but one of those likes is like a, a comedian that you respect and admire suddenly you think right i i definitely deserve to be sat at this table i just mm-hmm. don't know what the right vehicle is yet yeah so the, all those things were reassuring me throughout my 20s and 30s um but I just didn't break through, which is incredibly depressing. It is very depressing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the amount of rejections I got over those years, my God, I mean, you know, you could yeah. really, P.G. Woodhouse apparently wallpapered his spare room with these rejection letters. I could have done that with several rooms. 
<laughs> uh, maybe my whole house, I don't know. But, uh, but it didn't really, once you got over those initial rejections, it was, it was like, you know, you, you, you just grew that thicker yeah. skin. Uh, and I've always been, you know, um, uh, uh, a creative person. I, I wouldn't go, oh, well, that's that then. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, uh, the next day I would have another idea. And I'd uh, and I'd work on that idea, and I'd think, yeah, okay, let, let's let's see if this uh, gains traction. And I've never had writer's block, so it was always just a case of just keeping going. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I can well imagine that a lot of people in my shoes would have gone, you know what? Maybe this isn't maybe this wasn't the right uh, the right uh, yeah. path to take. Yeah. Well, um, where and when can people see you at the fringe? Oh, um, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> no, the only reason I the only reason I do this is because um, it's a slightly convoluted description. Assembly George Square Studios. Okay. Studio One, um, August nineteenth to the twenty eighth at twenty to four. Uh, every day in that run. Um, so, yes, should be good. Excellent. Awesome. And uh, the very, very last thing, uh, worst yeah. or best heckle you've ever received? Well, this is the thing. I've been asked this before, but I've never been heckled because oh, really? um, I'm in a very privileged position in as much as I've only ever been on stage as part of my tour and people come, people have come to see me. They haven't. They're not, yeah, they're not there. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They're, yeah, they're not there to give me a I hard it time. It sounds like it's a kind of show where it's not really. Like, uh, you're kind of watching clips and chatting about stuff, and it sounds like quite, yeah, quite a nice. Well, yeah, there's a very, very nice, warm, friendly atmosphere. Sometimes yeah. I get my insults held back at me, um, but I'm an online comedian, so I think my comments are probably my my heckles. Yeah. Yes, and I don't read comments. Uh, for my own mental health. No, so advice. the great thing about that is um, I don't know I don't know how loathed I am because I don't read them. <laughs> well, I, I I can't stand you, so. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, I knew it. I, I had this feeling. It's the only reason I agreed to this talk. So okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thanks very much, Michael. My pleasure. Thank that you. That was fantastic fun. 